chapter 1 verses 1 through 6 of course coming from the New American Standard Bible to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 27, still chapter 1. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are, we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit of God and take pride in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, that's it. So, what do you think? For me, I think this is probably the happiest letter Paul writes. I could be wrong, but can't you hear the love and affection that he has for this body of believers? I mean, to me, it just resonates in the letter and, and the accolades that come out and the encouragement and the numerous times that he talks about his love for them and his affection for them and how he longs to be with them. It's a love letter, in a sense. At least, that's what I think. <laughs> so what do you think the purpose is, then, of this letter? Is it just merely a love letter? You know, there's no real harsh admonishments 
Um, and there's really no instruction as far as the structure of the body like we saw. What was that back in um, Timothy and Thessalonica when he was explaining to Timothy, I think it was, and the structure of the church and to appoint the elders. Well, in his letter, as you read it in its entirety on your own, you will see that he makes greetings to several of the leadership there where he greets them, and I won't butcher their names, um, and he calls them deacons. So they already have the structure of what the church body is to look like. And remember, we discussed that that particular structure came out of the apostles who were still in in, um, Jerusalem, who were ministering to the Jewish population there to get them to see that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Paul goes out from Jerusalem to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentile community. But he would always first go to the synagogue and preach to Jewish people there. And then they'd get upset and throw him out and then he'd end up going to the Gentiles. But he knew that his main ministry was to the Gentiles. So they have this structure already because he identifies the deacons that are already there. He also um, states, I believe it's in chapter four, maybe chapter three, where there are two women and he says to help them to bring harmony to that relationship. So there's probably some bickering going on. And also in the verse verses that I read in chapter two, where he talks about being of one mind and being of one spirit, that probably speaks to a little bit of bickering going on in the church, but nothing really major in my opinion. So to me, this letter is really a letter of pure encouragement and also information sharing. As you read Philippians, you will see that the majority of the letter, Paul is updating them on what's been going on with him. And then he also provides background, of course, Jesus Christ, remembering Jesus Christ and that they that he died for them and that they're suffering. But he's also telling them about, I may come to you, but if I don't come to you, stand firm, the encouragement. But he's giving them information. He maintains situational awareness of what's going on in their community. And he provides that comment in him telling them to remain faithful to their calling, to not be shaken by the suffering that they're experiencing. He talks about that suffering and he draws comparison to his own suffering with their suffering and Christ's suffering basically letting them know that they're not alone that they're in it together and that their suffering is worthy and it and to do it unto the Lord so in looking through the lens of shepherding what do we see in this letter I see pure love and affection. Well, I see a number of things, but initially I see pure love and affection. Paul is not ashamed or afraid to share his feelings for them. I mean, it gushes in the letter. And um, in my New Testament class, we're looking, well, we're in the New Testament, duh. We've already done a textual observation in Philippians, and that was one of my comments was, I mean, you can really feel the affection and the joy that he has for this particular body of believers. When we get into Galatians, it's going to be the opposite. (laughs) But this letter, love and affection, he's not afraid to show his feelings. And our lesson, we need to be honest with our love and our affection for those who we love. Don't make them guess. Things aren't always obvious. 
Just because you provide a roof over someone's head doesn't necessarily interpret to them or translate to them that you love them. Let's let's get off of that keeping our feelings close hold to the people that are already in your life, to the people that God has surrounded you with. Tell them, show them, tell them that you love them. Tell them that you think that they're the bee's knees. Okay, I'm dating myself. That they're wonderful, that you enjoy being around them. Tell them that you like their laugh, whatever. Give them, let them know how much you appreciate them. People need to know that they are cared for. And when we hold in those feelings, um, for whatever reason you, you, you think that you have, I'm here to tell you that it's ungodly. We need to let people know that we care about them. And there is a term where it says, you know, give people um, the roses or the flowers now and not wait till they die. Because, you know, people pass away and people bring all these flowers. And there's a lot of tears and they're tears of guilt and remorse because they did not take the time while they were living to say the things that they're, they now can't say. So let us not be like that. Tell people that you care about them. Paul does. Next, to me, he demonstrates how information sharing can go both ways. In the military, you know, the boss was always receiving the information. I was on staff and we're providing information to them. When I was in the leadership positions, my staff was providing leadership um, to me. And so we think that information is always moving uphill. It goes to the boss. But that's not accurate. That's not how it should be if you want a well-oiled machine and you want an efficient and an effective organization. I had the privilege of working for a very few bosses who understood that providing information to the staff is something that they needed to do. They understood how information goes both ways. And I remember the first time it happened, I was participating in a joint exercise in Hawaii. And when I mean joint, I mean all of the um, military services were working together. So it was the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, the um, the Navy. I'm like, who am I forgetting? The Navy. We were all working together for this exercise that they do annually in um, Hawaii for the uh, in the Pacific. And so there was a general who was responsible for the overall um, support to the war effort. And me being medical, I always fell under the support aspect of it. Um, Not just me, but there are all sorts of other um, branches within the military that fall under the support. And so we take turns, you know, updating him and providing presentations to him as to what was going on and things that he needed to know. And so the first time this happened, you know, I'm used to this. Get up, brief, let him know what he needs to know. Other people brief. And then he leaves because he has other meetings that he has to go to with the other generals. (laughs) And then and that was in the morning. And then later on that afternoon, he comes back into our work area we all stand at attention I'm like ooh, something hot must have come up that he has to let us know you know some taskers that we have to generate right now and what he did is he had us take our seats he sat down pulled out his notebook he goes I'm here to just let you know what we discussed at the general's meeting you could have knocked me over with the feather I was like wait a minute what he's he's back briefing us but it was so freeing because he was so candid in the conversations that 
he was having at his level and letting us know what was going on and the questions that were generated by some of the things that we had briefed him on and vice versa, he gave us a full scope of what was going on. And so we understood what was happening above us and could anticipate some of the questions, but we saw the bigger picture and it made us a more cohesive staff. It was amazing. And I've had a few other bosses to do that as well, but not as high as at the general level, but it was amazing. It was freeing to be able to see the larger picture and to hear what he encounters. And that's what I'm seeing in Paul's letter. He's allowing them to know what he's going through, what he's experiencing. And the reason that he does it is because he understands and he wants to convey to them that they're in partnership. They're in partnership. But here's a newsflash, my beloved podcast community. We are all in partnership, not just with Christ, but with each other. And if we don't communicate back and forth with each other and come together and share ideas and information and lessons learned and, you know, come together, the light that we have for Jesus is dimmed because there's misinformation or not enough information that goes both ways. We don't need to recreate the will every time. We need to be improving upon it. And then he provides warnings for them to maintain their diligence in their pursuit of walking in the way. This shows me that shepherds must always be on the lookout for things that could hinder their flock. That's maintaining that situational awareness, not just situational awareness of what's going on with the flock, but that eye view of what could be coming their way, right? To keep them alert to some of the dangers so that they won't be caught off guard. It isn't good enough just for you to know what is going on and the dangers. You need to identify them to the people around you so that they can navigate because there will be times where you won't be able to be there. And just as Paul is writing, he's not there with them now. And you want people to be successful. That's why God put you in the leadership role of shepherd, to help for you to nurture and to help them discover their purpose in life so that they can walk in the way or the purpose that God has called them to. And so full information, full disclosure, keeping them aware and warnings, all of that is a part of shepherding to help them be the best that they can be. And then always in his letters that we've read thus far, the words of encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement. And the reason why we always need encouragement is because we're all experiencing various forms of suffering in this world. Whatever they may be, we're getting it. And so no one is exempt. Therefore, we are to encourage each other. Not only, though, within the body of Christ. Not only your family members, right? But everyone. That's what Paul was saying in chapter 2 of the verse that I read. To not only look out for themselves, but to be concerned with those around them. So... Who are those around us? I'm going to let you think about that for a while. 
most of you may think this is a rhetorical question, but for some, it isn't. It's, it's just like the scribe who asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Really? <laughs> Newsflash. Everyone is our neighbor. We should be concerned with everyone. And when I say being concerned, of course, we're not the Lord. We're not omnipresent, so we can't be everywhere at everything. But to realize that through our active prayer life, we can partner with God and, and, and bring some change and some justice and some healing and whatever is needed for everyone. So using me as an example, when I consider my community, I, I think like this, my community are believers, fellow believers, African-Americans, specifically African-American women, then women, because I have a heart for women, the military, my neighbors in my subdivision, my family, my friends, my country, those people who are suffering. As you can see, my prayer life is quite full. I consider all of those people in my community, so to speak. I do. I'm a believer. I'm African-American. I'm a woman. I've been in the military. I live with these group of people. I'm blood with these other people. You know, I interact with these. Yeah. And then people who suffer touch my heart. And if there's a way for me to to help them other than prayer, which I know is the most important thing, then God lays it upon my heart. So I have a lot of charities that I support. So who is your community? Who are you concerned with? Whose needs are, are, are on your heart? Sure, as caregivers, you're knee deep in caring for your loved one. I know that. But here's a question. Are you truly concerned for them? Or are you just going through the motions? Sometimes I was just going through the motions. <laughs> and it's okay. You, you will have to do that at times because sometimes it's just overwhelming. So you will experience where sometimes you're just kind of going through the motions and there's no emotion attached to it. But that shouldn't be the dominating emotion or feeling that you have during your season of caregiving. You are to care <laughs> and be concerned for your loved one. You can experience joy by learning to show and say how much you love your loved one how much they mean to you. You can experience the peace that transcends all understanding. Just like my season of caregiving, you can get all sorts of blessings from it. But you have to be concerned. You have to be present. You have to own it. And not just for um, you caregivers like myself who are caring for loved ones, but also for the professional caregivers out there. I know that you develop love and appreciation and affection for your clients, just like Deborah did for my mother. Especially when you're there for so long, you become a member of the family. But, you know, you need to exercise caution because you don't want to generate any unhealthy attractions. You know, anything that would hinder your employment <laughs> or give an, an, an inappropriate impression to your client. But you can still be very present and be concerned about what is going on in their lives, being concerned about what's going on in your family member's life, being concerned about what's going on in your neighborhood, being concerned about others. Christ died for the world. 
And we need to bring that love to the world. And we can't do that when we operate in silos. So, with all of that being said, with this letter, we can learn to be more communicative, communicative, to learn how to express our love and say our love, to learn how to share information about what's going on, and to be present. And lastly, to keep your eyes open for, for potential, potential issues, perhaps, that may arise so that you can alert all that is, you know, you can alert people who need to be alerted to things that you may see coming on the horizon. And I know Deborah and I used to do that when it came to me and Mama. Hey, I found this little bruise on her arm. What was that from? Oh, I accidentally turned her. We really kept each other, you know, informed. We shared what was going on so we could be on the same sheet of music. And that's what you want. That helps bring peace and harmony. And also, it's because she and I were in partnership. In partnership, caring for my mom. The discussions that I had with the doctors and what was going on at the house. Partnership. Everyone knew what was going on. And now, my dear podcast family, you now know that you are in partnership as well. You're in partnership with me. And together we're in partnership with Jesus. Let's pray. Holy righteous God we come thanking you for being who you are more than we can imagine we can't wrap our arms around you enough because you're that good you're that big you're that vast and you love us and it bewilders our minds at times but you do and we come and we say thank you Thanking, thank, thank you for loving us beyond what we can't, for, for beyond what we can define. Thank you. Thank you for your blessings of healing, of financial blessings, of peace, of joy, of restored relationships. Thank you for, for whispering just how special we are to you. Every day we experience that with you. And help us to spend time with you so that we can clearly hear you say that. Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians that demonstrates to us that we can be expressive with our love and our feelings. That we can provide information to each other. And that we can provide warning and to maintain our situational awareness because we are in partnership with you and with each other. That we're not islands all on our own, but we're connected. And that what we do here affects others elsewhere. How mind-boggling it is for us to recognize that when we come to you in prayer, that you hear us and you answer us. And you can, and through you, Father, you use us to help others. Give us willing spirits to allow us to truly partner with you so that we can help others. The caregivers who are out there, help them to know that they are not alone, to not buy into what the enemy is telling them, but to let them know that you have assembled an arsenal of people to assist them in the scriptures, in their families, with me, whomever. That 
you will never leave them or forsake them. And that during this season of caregiving, giving, even though it may be rough, it isn't anything that they can't handle with you. I pray that you mend relationships, that you allow this caregiving season to be sweet for them, that they grow in you, that their loved one grows in you, that the family comes together. Our heart's desire is to be an example to the world of how good you are. And so help us to do that. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, the name that is above every name we pray. Amen. All right, dear ones, go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus.